Buds fans, and welcome to the Babbling Buds Podcast, hosted by Jordan Jacqueline. 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 Welcome to the third episode of the Babbling Buds Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Jordan Jacqueline, a twice-a-week show covering the Toronto Maple Leafs and the NHL as a whole, bringing in a mix of various analytics and the eye test when discussing players and the team. I thank you for joining me today, and to make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes, follow us on Twitter at The Babbling Buds to stay up to date on all news surrounding the show. And it is a pleasure to announce today's guest, Nick Barden, a Toronto Marlies reporter and a graphics contributor for the Leafs Nation. Make sure to follow his Twitter at Nick Barden. And my first question to you has to be how disappointing this game was. And with Jake Muzzin potentially out, Nick, is it time to put Martin Marinson in the lineup? Uh, no, no, it's not. You got a few guys that can step in a, a lot more and a lot better than he would. So I think uh, with Rasmus Sandin, I think you could put him in. And then there's Ben Hutton as well before before we get into any Martin Marinson action. Would you don the Marinson jersey if he, uh, if he was in the lineup? Um, you know, I, I don't really know. Like, I don't tend to, like, during Leaf games or anything like that, I don't tend to wear jerseys. Just, I, I, I don't know why. If I go to a game, like, I will, I'll put it on. But, like, when I'm watching it at home or anything like that, I always, I always just try to stick with what I'm wearing. I don't want to try and become a superstitious person. I am with some things, but I just don't want to get into that route of being superstitious about hockey hey you're probably better off for that the superstitions in hockey even the fans can just be incredibly insane but we do have a lot to talk about here nick as toronto surrendered game five and six to the montreal canadians losing both in overtime the Habs young core has come through big time with Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kotkaniemi scoring the game winners in overtime. Meanwhile, it's been the Leafs depth players actually helping them get back into these games with big goals coming from Jake Muzzin, TJ Brody, Jason Spezza, and Zach Hyman. And we all know tension is high in Toronto and the pressure to finally win game seven can already be felt. Let's just get into some of the Leafs news and updates, though, before we really go full in and talk about individual players. We have learned that the Ontario government has denied a proposal that would allow healthcare workers to spectate at Scotiabank for Game 7. We saw 2,500 fans at the Bell Centre in Montreal. It's sad that we kind of won't be able to see it in Toronto. You know, like, obviously, hearing them all sing the national anthem in the pregame yesterday, that was, pretty, that was kind of chilling. It was, like, really insane, really, just to kind of listen to that environment again at an actual hockey game in Canada. And the question I want to bring from this is, do you think fans in the building could have inspired this team to play to their potential as it definitely seemed to inspire Montreal, at least in the beginning of the last game? I think that in a sense it could, I know that for a fact, I mean, the Leafs know what they're capable of. They know what they can do. They know what they can't do. And I know that, going into that game, if there was fans in the arena, it, it, it might have a lot of an impact for them. I mean, like, again, it's it's people in the arena. And like you said, it gave you chills. It gave me chills. Like, even, even just hearing the national anthem. It, again, like, there was a fan that said, it sat, it'll sound like there's 25,000 people in the arena. And it did for a, that first five or ten minutes. But, I mean, I don't know how much it would influence the Leafs. I mean, 
they they know what's at stake. This is probably uh, for some players the most important game of their careers. For Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner. I mean, uh, for Mitch Marner, in a sense, if they don't win tomorrow night, like it could be, it could be time for him to be traded. I mean, a lot of people called for it last season. A lot of people might call for it this season. But again, they know what they're capable of. I don't know if it it would probably have an impact for sure but I just think that they have a thing that they want to do tomorrow night and all that matters for them is just capitalizing on whether or not they can win a series in the first for the first time since 2004. Yeah I totally agree with you there and uh, you know there are some injuries to talk about and a few updates that we got from Elliot Friedman on headlines yesterday. It's officially confirmed that John Tavares will not be playing in game seven not that, that it's a huge surprise. I don't think anybody actually expected that he would play. We are awaiting the status of Jake Muzzin, who left in the second period of game six. Christian Shelton actually tweeted out today that there is no update on him per Sheldon Keefe. So and the question that can come from this is, if he's gone, what chances do you really give the Leafs of winning this series as opposed to him in the lineup? I mean, we saw what happened in the Columbus series last year. Can this team prevail without Muzzin in I think, yeah, 100%. I mean, they have, a, like I said earlier, they have guys like Ben Hutton. Rasmus Sandin has really developed into a, a good guy this year who could play top minutes. And if you don't want him on the second pairing, you can always put Travis Dermott up there. He had the experience last year with Justin Hall on that line. He didn't do too bad. Last night, he didn't do too bad either, although he gave up sort of the game-winning goal. But, I mean, they're fine. I, I don't, I, I'm not, that's not the thing that, worries me going into game seven the thing that worries me most about that back end or just the whole team in general is whether or not they can win that game and I don't I don't I think they're fine whether or not Jake Muzzin's out just like John Tavares they've got the depth and they can use it and they will use it to their advantage tomorrow oh I mean I agree with everything you're saying there as well and we got to highlight some of these player performances over the past few games and really the general series and let's just start with game five Toronto surrendered two goals within the first eight minutes of the game, both coming from Yoel Armia, and it was a similar trend in game six, except the shots didn't go in from the Habs. What do you make of Toronto's slow starts in these elimination games? But they are constantly getting outchanced at 5v5 and just look slow. Um, I mean, I'm used to it. Like it's it's gone on for so long. Yeah, I mean, it, it's gone on for so long. I, I mean, I, I'm just numb to it. There's no, there's no, se- I mean, I am surprised in a sense because I thought um, in the regular season, they didn't do that a lot. They didn't, they always started on time. And I, I'm sure in the back of their minds or at some point, these players are thinking about those past losses in the playoffs and they're afraid that it might happen again. And that that's definitely something that, is really again in their head but I mean this is the playoffs these guys are supposed to be playoff performers Austin Matthews Mitch Marner William Nylander has been good but in elimination games he's not been good so I mean again I'm used to it I'm not really I'm not really surprised I will be surprised tomorrow night if they don't come out with the really killer instinct that they should have if they come out slow there, there's no really sense of optimism for them to win any game seven. I was waiting until those two words, killer instincts, was brought up because I'm sure you saw on Twitter, everybody was mentioning the Leafs' lack of killer instincts. 
and uh, we'll honestly have to see what happens here in game seven because I do I there's just a part of me that believes this was fate you know that the Leafs had to go to game seven in round one and that's kind of their Achilles heel that they have to get through that's their demons per se and we saw it with the Washington Capitals theirs was the second round and they were able to finally persevere after 14 years into Ovechkin's career by the way there's no way that Marner and Matthews would ever have that patience with the fan base if they went 14 years without going past the first round but there's just a part of me that really believes that they actually will be able to prevail in game seven this year I just I don't think it's going to be like the other years I know that I'm, I would probably be too optimistic but there just is a part of me that thinks this is different and that it was meant to happen like this yeah um I I have not like it, it could be that it could be for me in my opinion what I think is that their backs are against the walls these guys have one game left a lot of them again like I said it's their biggest game of their career and for me the biggest part is if they win there's still maybe that getting over the hump is if they get farther and farther and farther and end up facing Boston if that was to ever happen um but if they win like everything is gonna be bananas everything everybody's gonna go nuts um like I I was I've sat on my bed and watched these two overtime games and they make it to overtime they come back and I'm sitting there with almost tears in my eyes because they could win a series and then it, it doesn't happen and then you're torn and then you're torn and you're torn so I mean, it's oh, game seven is going to be tough. It's not. It's not going to be a fun one, especially from the start. Like it's, it's. It could be the last game of the season. It could not be, and it's. It's very scary to think about, and I don't like thinking about it a lot. I don't either, man. But these guys are going to have to, and they're going to have to really be prepared, as they all say. They all need to be ready. We've all heard all the post-game press conferences. We don't even need to get into it because it's the same repeat every single year, every single game in these circumstances. I really hope they actually will be ready this time for Game 7. But a guy, you know, that that's getting some flack, I would say, not necessarily as, obviously not as much as his line mates. I kind of want to dive into Zach Kaiman here. And uh, everybody's talking about, like I said, his line mates play, but when you talk, look at his stats so far in this series, they are as follows. So he's got one goal in six games, averaging just under 22 minutes per night of time on ice. He had a 56 expected goals for percentage in game six, as approved in that metric actually over the course of this series. And sure, you can, and this is what I want to kind of get into, you know, because obviously in an ideal situation, we all know they kind of they wanted to have Hyman on that third line, but the injury to John Tavares kind of changed that. Do you see a scenario maybe where they take him off the first line in game seven, or do you think they want to keep him on there with Matthews and Marner? I think they do want to keep him on there. I mean, in my opinion, I've, I've watched him throughout the series and there have been times where I haven't liked him. There have been times where it looks like he's sort of lost a step and got a little bit slower after that injury to his knee. But I mean, this is the series where they need to win and they need to go all out. If Sheldon Keefe decides that maybe he doesn't fit on that line right now, then by all means take him off. I mean, again, for me, I wanted last game, I wanted to see William Nylander try and Mitch Marner's spot just, just to see what would happen because Nylander has had those opportunities before and he's had the goals in this series and, it could have sparked something. They ended up not doing it. I don't know why, but I mean, there's, 
really on a sense with Zach Hyman, nobody you could throw up on that line other than maybe Alex Galchenyuk. Nick Foligno is looking like he's worse for wear and he's not really taken too much traction on the ice. So, I mean, if you think about it, there could be a Joe Thornton scenario too, but I mean, Zach Hyman really gives you that best chance for that line to have success. He's the dog of the line. He's been the dog of the line. I think that if they want to win and they have that success, it's just better to probably just keep them on that line. Well, you know, Nick, we just keep mentioning it and we got to get into the talk of the town. And that is the play of Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews so far in this series. And before we dive kind of into their play here, I just want to point out if you're one of the people going onto Marner's social media and harassing him, you really need to stop. You know, there's no space for that type of behavior and you can criticize him, you know, but don't go onto his personal account counts and attack him. So I just want to point, put that out there. There's really no need for that. But with that out of the way, let's just dive into some of the numbers, starting with Marner. So through six games, he has only four assists, averaging 23 to 24 minutes of time on ice per game, notably playing 30 minutes and 22 seconds in game six as that went into overtime. And, you know, in terms of the actual line, the Matthews and Marner line had an expected goals for of six. They have an expected goals for of 63% in game six. And uh, they were generating chances, but they just couldn't finish. And I just want to know, Nick, what have you really been your thoughts on watching Marner play? You know, we've heard it all. I mean, obviously, I've kind of un- the, the, under the stance that he hasn't really been shooting enough. Obviously, he's way overthinking. He's trying to make that extra play. We even saw he almost scored that nice backhand goal yesterday, but it just couldn't go there. What, what have you thought of him so far? I mean, he's he. There's been times where he's been really good, and they're like in the overtime. In the overtime last night, that line was definitely the best line. Of it, really looked like they were doing a lot of good things in that overtime, and throughout the series, I mean, like you said, he's been snake bitten. There have been times where he's looked really good, and there's a lot more times where he's looked really bad. I mean, that penalty last night that he took obviously wasn't happy about it but I mean those things happen and like you said before maybe that was meant to be maybe he was meant to take that penalty for something in game seven that could come I mean I I wanted to see him score an overtime I wanted to see any player scoring overtime to be honest but I, I I want the best for him he's he's a really good player and he loves playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs and as well, Austin Matthews, the same exact thing. But these guys need to find another level. These these two are the faces of the franchise, along with John Tavares. But they need to know when it's time to step up and step up. Mitch Marner has – he has had his moments. But really, to this point in his career in Toronto, there's been – really no room for me to say that he's exceeded expectations in the playoffs or even had good expectations. There's, there's not been anything. So if, if P, if he wants to rewrite his own story in Toronto tomorrow in game seven against the Montreal Canadians to push them over, to get them into the second round for the first time since 2004, that would be the time for him to do it. Everyone would fall in love with him again. 
Oh, trust me, I would do anything for that to happen, man. And on top of that, what does Matthews need to do to score? He has only one goal and three points so far in six games. He's had a few good chances in game six uh, specifically. He just couldn't convert, and the Habs have really just matched up that to no line against him. And they have systematically been able to limit his, his scoring chances, man. Like, what does he need to do to finally break through? He needs to find a way to beat Carey Price. I mean, uh, hard. He's he's been the best. I'd say he's been the best player in the series. Carey Price has been. I mean, he's playing out of his mind. He was not doing well in the regular season. Had that injury came back after one AHL game and is playing like a Vesna trophy winner. I mean, he's, he's doing everything in his power to stop the Maple Leafs from having success. And Austin Matthews, he's shooting a lot. He's getting his chances. He has a low shooting percentage. So eventually you'd think that it's going to break and he's just going to be shooting and putting goals in every shot he gets. But I mean, there's, there's really only Carey Price, and he's not getting a lot of good A chances. Even on the power play, he doesn't get them. But it's it's got to happen eventually, you'd think. And hopefully there could be a time where he beats Carey Price twice in a series, but I, I don't know if it's now. No, I, I agree with you there. And, I mean, we're talking about the goaltending that Montreal's getting. What about the Leafs? Jack Campbell kept the Leafs in game six last night, making key saves on a Nick Suzuki breakaway, along with a Tyler Toffoli shot on a three-on-one. Oh, I was terrified when that happened. I'm just curious if Freddie Anderson actually ever played up to par like Jack has so far in the previous series against Washington, Boston, and Columbus. How many of the series do you think the Leafs would have won? Because I'm guessing they could have at least won two of those. I, I mean, I think he's played up to par. I just think that he like Mitch Marner, like Austin Matthews, struggle to find themselves in the big moments. And Jack Campbell is the guy who's had, who's gone through a lot in his career. And he knows at points when to strive in those big moments. And he knows when to make those big saves. And I'm not saying Freddie doesn't because he has, it's just in the biggest stages, he really hasn't performed to the level of Jack Campbell is right now. And I think that I, I mean, the way Jack Campbell's playing, I wouldn't I wouldn't see Freddie coming back unless he would be okay with a backup position. But, I mean, Jack Campbell's playing out of his mind. There, there likely is no chance Anderson will get into a game unless Campbell is injured. But, I mean, again, Campbell is – he's he's playing like no goalie I've ever seen a least goalie play like before. Yeah, I mean, I'm encouraging everybody who's listening to this, if you're subscribed to The Athletic, to actually read James Myrtle's piece that he did on him earlier in the season because it's quite clear how much this guy has gone, had to go through since being drafted 11th overall by the Dallas Stars. You know, they kind of ended up giving up on him after he kind of his poor play with the Texas Stars. He goes to the Los Angeles Kings organization and he completely redefines his game in the past five years. And uh, it is true. We could have honestly seen this coming because the stats he put up behind that horrendous Kings team and Jonathan Quick was pretty bad too. So that just tells you, I mean, not that he's exactly that great of a goalie anymore. I don't think it's that secret, but Campbell's just been amazing so far and he's keeping the Leafs in this. He's going to have to do it again in game seven. And uh, let's just try to think positively just a tiny bit. Who are players that stood out to you, you know, somewhat in a positive way? 
Mine was Pierre Engwell. He was so effective in transition, like usual, but his subtle plays in the offensive zone led to numerous high-danger chances. His backhand pass to TJ Brody for that game-tying goal, man, is pretty underappreciated in my opinion. He also led the team in expected goals for in game six with an 83% when he was on the ice. Who's that guy for you, Nick? Um, I'm going to say Alex Galchenyuk. I mean, he was a guy that the Leafs got and people were wondering, why did you get him? And he went down to the Marlies, found his confidence, found everything that he needed to do to get better, worked with the skills coaches, development coaches, to do everything in his power to get his career back on track. And I really, really like the way he's been playing. He's playing with flair. He's playing with emotion like he always does. He's playing with heart, and that's what this Leafs team needs. When I look at Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, yeah, they say they don't get frustrated, and they're not getting frustrated, and that for them is a good sign. But for me, it's kind of telling that if you don't get frustrated, you don't care enough. And I'm not saying they don't care – because I'm sure they do. I'm sure they they want this as bad as anybody else, even the fans. But, I mean, just to see the heart, you you see it when Austin Matthews scores. You see it when Mitch Marner assists on a goal of Austin Matthews or anything like that. You see the heart. You see what they want and everything like that. But, I mean, Alex Galchenyuk is, is one of those guys who came in off the radar and has been performing out of his mind. And just – better than any time that I thought he would have been. So, I mean, he's been one of the best players for the Leafs this series. Oh, yeah. I, I even tweeted yesterday that if every Leafs player played like the way Galchenyuk played in game six, they would have won that game. Like, especially his tenacity even. Like, I remember that huge hit to open up the third period. I remember specifically, I forget who it was that he completely rocked on the Canadians, but he's making such great plays, and especially offensively. He's making such sneaky little passes. We obviously saw that amazing pass to Nylander back in game four, I believe. And uh, his play in the offensive zone in all areas of the ice has really improved. And obviously, had he not had that horrendous giveaway in game five, I'm sure there'd be more Leafs fans that were probably thinking more positively about him, but... I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt, and I think he will come through in Game 7. And speaking of Game 7, there are just are a few lineup decisions that Sheldon Keefe is going to have to go through. So do you go with Rasmus Sandin or Travis Dermott? I'm going to just point out a few advanced stats for them. Dermott had a 60% expected goals for in Game 6. He did have that horrendous – I mean, I, it wasn't the most awful turnover I've seen that led to that Kotkaniemi goal, but it could have been better played on his part and uh do you have enough faith in him that he rebounds if he gets the opportunity Uh, yeah he's Dermot's another guy who shows a lot of heart who shows a lot of passion and he's he's from Newmarket and he's from Toronto he wants this thing as as much as everybody else does and he he'll come in I'm sure he'll play his heart out he always he always plays with the sort of tenacity that you'd want out of out of of a defenseman he's gritty he gets into your face he's sort of like Brendan Gallagher in the sense but a defenseman but I mean Dermot I'm not I wouldn't be afraid of putting him in the lineup he's he's everything you'd want in a Jake Muzzin and if Jake Muzzin's out I'd be completely fine with putting Travis Dermot in yeah, I don't think people realize how crazy Travis Dermott can be in the playoffs, specifically in those Boston series. It was game seven where he scored the goal that I believe that brought them within one or actually tied it. 
in um, 2019 game six, he scored as well to bring the Leafs close to it. I believe it was the five, four goal, but he can come through when needed offensively and defensively. He's just been on another level this season. He's taken a step forward, but there is another chance here for Rasmus Sandin if given the opportunity. And we all know about that. He had a disastrous game five where he had only an ex- 30% expected goals for percentage. You know, we all saw the multiple goals that his turnovers ended up costing them. And uh, I just want to know, let's say that you put him back. Do you put him on the first power play unit again and hope that we see the player we saw from earlier in this series? 100%. You do not. I, I, I don't think, yeah, they're scoring goals with Morgan Riley there, but I mean, he's he's something else on the power play. He's, he's very good. And I don't think that... Uh, you never know. He could be on the second power play unit, but that was Jake Muzzin's spot. So, I mean, you could see if Sandin comes back in, it, it likely will be him on the first power play unit. And I think he's the more skilled guy out of the two. I mean, I'm sorry, Morgan Riley, but uh, it's – I actually don't – you know, now I'm thinking, I'm sitting here thinking about it. I, I have no idea. I, I don't know. I mean, Morgan Riley is good. And I should not have said that Sandin's more skilled than Riley, but I did. And no, I, I, I think what you were trying to go for there is we've all kind of seen people have always criticized Burke and Riley on the power play, you know, especially when he kind of, especially his shooting uh, lanes that he tries to shoot through, you know, he, he doesn't exactly have the best shot per se. He's not that typical, you know, slap shot defender. And uh, he's been criticized for years on that. And uh, we, we've seen it. This power play just can't come through. You know, and Manny Maholtra is getting the blame. People are forgetting what Paul McFarlane got so much blame last year. I don't necessarily even know if it's just those guys' faults. I think it's something that's wrong with these players' head. But I did like Sandin's feeds to Matthews. I like the way that he can create space for the players on the ice. I love the way he can shoot the puck, whether it's a slap shot or just subtle little plays that he can make to get the shots with bodies in front because if Carey Price can see the puck, we all know he's going to save it. But he knows how to make the plays where if there's guys in front of the net, he'll make the shot through and that will lead to a higher danger scoring chance. So I don't know if that's what you were necessarily going for there, but I mean, obviously I would love to see him there as well. And I kind of do hope secretly that he does get another chance to redeem himself. Yeah. I mean, both those guys are, are really good players on the power play. I really wouldn't be upset with Morgan Riley there or Rasmus Sandin. It's just, I mean, again, they're both incredible players. I'd be okay with, either of them there they're both really dominant penalty killers or power play sorry and it's it's good that you have that problem I mean I I'm glad that if he would be there Jake Muzzin wouldn't be on the power play yeah he scored two goals I, I don't think he'll be scoring two goals again like that for a while but I mean those two guys are really good we're lucky to have them on the power play and whichever player Sheldon Keith decides to go for on pp1 or pp2 I mean, it, it's a good decision either way. Already to end off this little game-by-game game analysis here before we head into our general Leafs questions, I just want to know, Nick, do you have a prediction for what's going to happen in Game 7? Will the Leafs finally prevail? As I honestly believe this is fate. They need to defeat the game, the demons of Game 7, and then once they do, they will be free. They will break that barrier that is really restricting them. Will they do it, Nick, and finally win? Or do you have something else to say about it? No, I think I think they're going to win. I mean, you know what? 
I don't even want to say they're going to, I don't even want to say what they're going to do. I don't even know what they're going to do. I mean, I, I want to sit here and say they are going to win and then they may just come out, do a slow start, try and claw their way back. And then they do, and then they lose in overtime. I mean, I, I really have no idea. I, I said it in a video today I recorded. I, I have no idea what to expect in game seven. I don't know. They could come out and blow Montreal out of the water and have that killer instinct that we've never seen before and just do it. I mean, it, it's it's so hard to tell with this team at this point. I I want to say they're going to win. I, I don't I don't want to jinx it. I don't I don't want to think that they are because again, they could just blow our minds and lose the game horribly as well. Yeah, I mean. I don't even want to think of all these thoughts. I, I, I wanted to get you on the record though, there, though, Nick, and just see what you had to say about that. And let's head into our general Leafs questions. We're going to do a couple over-unders here. And let's start with how many goals are going to get scored in this fi final game of the series? I'm putting the over-under at five. Whether it's a score of 3-2, maybe 4-1, are you going over or under that five goals are scored in this game? Uh, well, I said in my video today, I think it would be three, one Leafs. So I'm taking the under, I don't, I, I don't think this is going to be a tight game. I don't think there's going to be a lot of goals being scored. Yeah. I kind of, I agree with you there. I would take the under, I could even see it being like a two, one or two, nothing game, or maybe even one, nothing. We'll see. I yeah. can see that happening myself as well. This next one obviously will be interesting as well. I'm putting the over under number at three. Do Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews combine for three points in game seven? Are you going over or under? Um, I, oh. By three I, points, I, want, I mean like one of them has one point and one of them has two points. Yeah, I, I want, I, I, I don't want to say the under because, again, this is a team we have no idea what they're capable of. So I, I will say over. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but this is a game for them to do everything in their power to win something. So, I mean, you'd think they would do it. They, yes, they are doing it. We're, I'm taking over. I like the confidence. I got to take the over too, man. I, I really hope we finally see something because it would just rewrite all the narratives that we're seeing right now. And it would just, it would just be, <laughs> it would relieve all the pressure that's on my heart currently, man, because we just need to see something good happen for the Maple Leafs. You know, it's been 17 years, as we all know, since their last second round appearance. I was, I don't even think I was three years old at that point. I don't know how old you were specifically, Nick, but we just need to I see was something. seven. Oh, wow. We just need to see I, something different. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember it. So this will be the first one for me. And, you know, I actually did ask this question last episode, but a lot has changed since then. And I'm just curious who you would choose. Who scores the Leafs series winning goal if they can hold on and actually do it? Pick that player that scores that game winner. I, I want to say Mitch Marner. I also want to say Wayne Simmons. I want mm -hmm. Wayne Simmons has been, he hasn't got a lot of action, like good scoring chances or anything like that. But man, seeing him score the series winning goal, a guy from Scarborough, I mean, it would just be electric. It would be, imagine like you were at Scotiabank Arena. Imagine you're at Maple Leaf Square and this guy yeah. is coming in on this deal from Toronto. He loves it. And he's this guy who is coming in to help change the team. And he does it in game seven. Everyone would go nuts. 
that I was thinking of Joe Thornton as well, but it would just be so special to see Wayne Simmons do that. Oh man, I couldn't even imagine that if Wayne Simmons did, especially if the building was full too. You would never see something like that again, in my opinion. The guys I would choose personally, there's three I'm thinking of. Mitch Marner, we've mentioned before, if he scored that goal, that would completely rewrite the narrative. I would say the same with William Nylander as well. Obviously, he's had a tremendous series, you know. Whether they lose or not, it's not going to be put on him. Whether he gets traded because of that, because of Mitch Marner's poor performance, I saw that tweet today as well. I don't know. But, I mean, if if Willie Nylander scored that goal, just it would it would be truly amazing to me, and it would you know every uncle would love him, you know they would all love him. Another guy, obviously, is Nick Foligno, who's caught a lot of flack, you yeah. know, as of late, and he, he appears to honestly have some injuries. We've seen obviously as he's been taken out of four games of this series. If he could score that goal that gets them to the second round, you will never hear any criticism of him again, even if they literally get bounced in the second round. And they, he goes back to Columbus. He'll always be that guy that finally broke that 17-year drought. And uh, you got you would hope he could maybe show up a little bit too, because you did pay a first and two fours for him, you know. So that's what I would have to say about that. And with that in mind, I think it's time to head into our general NHL news. The Boston Bruins won Game One of their series against the New York Islanders with David Pasternak scoring a hat trick. He wore a sick blue and white suit before that game, too. He's just oozing confidence, like the whole Bruins team. I really like their trade deadline and acquiring Mike Riley and Taylor Hall. As you see, I covered the team uh, this past season. I got to see a lot of Taylor Hall in Buffalo. Was a completely different player with the Bruins, and he has been in this playoffs. Here's just a few stats to put it into perspective. The Bergeron and Krejci lines each have an expected goals for of over 60% each, both of their top two lines, and they're just finishing a lot of their chances too. So even though we're seeing somewhat of similar possession numbers with the Leafs, they're actually finishing their opportunities well. And a funny thing about Pasternak is he actually ranked in the 100th percentile in his three-year weighted war based off Jay Fresh's hockey charts. And uh, I mean, that's just ridiculous in himself, his finishing ability and his play to just drive offense. It's just unlike a lot of other players in this league, he's a top five winger in the entire game. And uh, I've seen him as the team that really makes it to the Stanley Cup finals. I'm just curious what your impressions of the Bruins are at this moment. They're a good team. I mean, Taylor Hall, getting him really put their lineup forward and being one of the most dangerous lineups really in the playoffs right now. You could put it alongside the Leafs. You could put it alongside the Avalanche, possibly in the Golden Knights as well. But, I mean, they're good. They they could do a lot of good things this year. And hopefully they meet the Leafs in the Stanley Cup final and hopefully the Leafs send them home packing. But they're always a good team. I'm not surprised this year. And I wasn't surprised when they got Taylor Hall either. There, I knew, I figured that a team like Boston would get them and they did. And now they're doing wonders with them in the lineup. See, I've, I've, I've heard some conflicting reports on that. I believe a Montreal wins and Montreal, the winner of the Montreal Winnipeg series would have to face the winner of Colorado Vegas. Right. But if the Leafs win, then they would have to face the winner of Tampa Carolina. Um, I, I, it's so confusing. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure. I think they can still face Boston in the cup final. I don't know yeah. how, but I, I, I'm pretty sure it's possible. I hope I, so, it's, it's too confusing. 
if that happened, I don't think there would be a better Stanley Cup final. There hasn't been a better Stanley Cup final than that, if that could actually happen, because that would just yeah. be the ultimate. The stories to come from that, Twitter, it would just be crazy. There'd be nothing like it. And, uh, you know, I'm just curious, you know, that we don't want to get too far ahead here, but there is free agency coming up eventually over the by the end of the Stanley Cup playoff run. And uh, we've heard some news regarding a few defensemen, and I just want to get your thoughts on them. Two guys that could be testing the free agent market are Tyson Berry and Seth Jones. Jones came out last night, according to Elliot Friedman. We're hearing all the articles now circulating on that topic. Let's just talk about it. What do you think of Tyson Berry? Because I've heard rumors, you know, obviously the funny one would be him going to the Vancouver Canucks. Not that there's at all a fit there, and especially if they overpaid him after already having Tyler Myers at $6 million on the books. I don't know that. But I honestly, I mean, Edmonton clearly is the right spot for Barry, which is kind of the funny part for me. I don't know how many other teams there actually are that have that exact fit where he could play in the top power play and it's surrounded by studs like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. I'm just curious where you would even expect him to go if he went to free agency. Um, I, I'd say the same as you. I I didn't even know that he was he wanted to go to free agency and test the market. So, I mean, I, I always thought he was a fit in Edmonton. When he left Toronto and he went there, I, I thought he was going to have a breakout season and a really, really good one, and he did. He, he showed how much he's worth offensively and – if he stays in Edmonton, you got him, like you said, playing on the top power play unit with guys like McDavid and Dreisaitl. So it, it would it would work out for him the best if he stayed there. If he goes anywhere else, I'll be surprised. But he, he's a good player either way. He can make offense all by himself happen. So I, I really do think, though, he'll stay in Edmonton. The problem with Barry, though, is his defense is just among the worst in the entire league. Like, you can't – they – even in Edmonton, he had to play in the third pairing role at times just because of how poorly he was. And even in the playoffs, I believe it got to that point, maybe the second pair, because defensively, the way this guy plays, even in his even strength, uh, I believe, uh, war rating, he's just among the bottom 20 percentile players in the whole league. Seth Jones is obviously an interesting one. I don't know how aware you are of the discourse between him, between the analytics community and obviously the general hockey community. Most view him as a guy that's a number one defender, but even this past season, he had a really poor year in Columbus and a lot of people really started to realize they were following what some of the analytics guys and hockey Twitter were saying and that this guy is not as good as people think he is. I'm just curious, like, where could you even see Seth Jones going if it's not Columbus? Because it's, it's starting to look like he really isn't going to be going back there. Yeah. Um, Seth Jones, uh, he's a wild card for me. I have, I have no clue where he would go. I mean, it's so hard because he's playing for a team like the Blue Jackets who had a tough one and coming out, you know, that John Tortorella won't be returning. I mean, there was so much bad it looked like that was coming from Columbus. Patrick Line wasn't doing good. But for Seth Jones, where he will go, that is a good question. I do not have an answer for that one. I have no idea. You know, an underrated storyline here, maybe with that, is if Ducky Hamilton doesn't go back to Carolina, I wonder if they kick tires on Seth Jones, potentially, which would be uh, – yeah, that would make them a worse team, by the way. I, I, I'm just putting that out there. I really am a fan of Ducky Hamilton. but I, wa- I was going to say – I was thinking of Carolina. They'd be a good team, and they'd crazy. be a good fit for looking him. at their decor, but <laughs> yeah. it's just crazy in my mind. But Carolina, you know, they actually could potentially be a fit there, but 
in my they'd probably be better off keeping Dougie Hamilton. And uh, the last question I want to get to you is actually a bit of a personal one. And I just want to know how was it really covering the Toronto Marlies this year as an official media member? Um, it was good. It was in the first little bit, it was sort of, I wouldn't say surreal, but it was weird. I mean, I, I, that's what I want to do in my life is cover a hockey team and covering the biggest hockey teams, AHL affiliate is something amazing. I remember, I think it was one of the first few games I actually went to live. I think it was the first one they came out and I just like, I, I don't know how I felt. I don't really remember. All I remember is like, I just had so much serotonin coming into me and I was like, Oh my God, I'm actually covering a hockey team and I'm actually at a game. Well, I'm sorry that nobody else could go there, but I mean, it, it was weird. It was surreal. It was amazing to talk to these guys every day. They're all great people and they're trying to build something special there. But I mean, it was awesome. There was a lot of good memories. There was also not good memories, I'll say, about some of those games where they struggled to go offensively in some sorts. But overall, it was an incredible season. And I was I was so lucky to be able to cover them. It's always funny when you kind of get to see those videos of like the players talking about their welcome to the NHL moment. What was your welcome to the media moment personally, if you feel like you can share it? Um, well, when Zoom is a thing, you have to raise your hand. I I'm sure you know. Oh, yeah. To for question, if you want to answer a question or ask a question, sorry, you got to put up your hand. Um, there was one time I was put, I put up my head hand for Greg Moore and I asked him a question. I kept my hand up. They came back to me. I, I was not ready for them to come back to me. I didn't even want to ask a question and I was stressed out. I think Chris Johnston last night did the same thing where he kept his hand up and they went to him again. And he was like, oh, I don't have a question. Sorry, it was my fault. I, I didn't react like that. I was like, oh no, I got to think of a question. So I think it was about Andrew D'Agostini and I asked him um, just what does he have to do to keep, to keep being the starter? And Greg Moore just laughed and said, he has to play well. So, I mean... That was definitely probably the scariest moment and definitely the one where I remembered every single time after that to put my hand down after asking a question. Yeah, it's those little things, eh, that will just taunt you forever, but then you know for next time that you'll be all good yes. to go. And then props to you for even thinking of a question in that probably short span of time you even had, probably just seconds to even come up with one in your mind. But, you know, Nick, it was really great having you on here. Eh? And uh, I really do hope that the Leafs can give us something fun to talk about because I'd love to bring you back on eventually again in the future. Yeah, ho hopefully things are well. Hopefully hopefully uh, they can go to the second round. I mean, we got to hope so. And I think all fans would stay the same. There's just a lot of negativity in the air. A lot of people have already acted like it's the series is over, which I kind of find funny. It was like game seven was yesterday. If you were to read Twitter, you would think that the Leafs were already eliminated. But guess what? There's still another game to play. And I do have faith in them that they're going to win. And then you're just going to see a complete 180 on all social media platforms of the Leafs. Yeah, I mean... Uh, it felt to me after that game last night it felt like game seven was lost so i mean i'm, I'm happy there's another game i'm also scared at the same time i, I don't know what to expect i'm very afraid 
Well, the Leafs always know how to keep us on our feet, but, you know, I just had to have some faith, you know, as a fan, as a person that's just been watching them for so many years, dating back to the 2013 series against Boston, where they had no business being in it. I do believe. And with that, I just want to thank you for listening to the Babbling Beds podcast. These first few episodes have been great, and Nick was a great guest in this one. Remember to follow him on his personal Twitter at Nick Barden, as he is the best Marley's reporter in the business. Just as a reminder, during the playoffs, I've decided that there's so much hockey to talk about that there will be episodes uploaded on Thursdays on top of Sundays during this least playoff run. Hopefully that doesn't end this week. Once again, thanks for listening or watching, and we have babbled enough for today. Until next time.